Digital is the future, and we are that future. We are. Touch HD. Hi, and welcome to A Toast with Carrie. It's Touch HD. I've missed you. I always miss you during the week. You are my sanity and my quiet time and my fun time. Um, and today I'm bringing you something really, really, really special, and it is hugely hot off the press. Andrea Molyneux is no stranger to anybody in the South Africa, in fact, in the world of wine. And I have her with me in studio today to chat about an amazing accolade that they received. I only read about it last night. So, Andrea Molyneux, welcome to Touch HD. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, you go, got the floor, tell everybody what happened via Neil Martin yesterday with your gorgeous sticky wine. Yeah, so we make what we consider to be a very special um, sweet wine called Alarice, which is a straw wine um, from Chenin Blanc. Straw wine is a uh, naturally dried um, process that concentrates all the flavors and leaves you with you know, a sweet but very balanced wine. And we received a score from the journalist Neil Martin, who writes for Venice, um, an online wine scoring publication that is very important in the international world of it wine. It is, it's hugely important. And he has given us um, his first 100 point score for any South African wine. So 100 oh. points is the ultimate. You don't get yeah. higher than 100 points in you wine. You <laughs> cannot get better than 100 points in anything, my darling child. Congratulations. It is such an amazing thing to happen and honestly, really, really well deserved. When I was speaking to your husband, Chris, earlier today, I think there's only one other South African wine that's received 100 points and that wasn't from Neil Martin. I don't think it was from Tim Atkin. Yeah, Tim uh, Atkin uh, gave Canon Cop 100 Canon points Cop, a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah so South African it, wine on the world stage is on the up and up. It's absolutely gorgeous. So now... It's the perfect time of year to be drinking sweet wine. I don't know about Cape Town, but we're sort of gearing up for an incredibly freezing cold couple of days and probably weeks. I think it's the snow's going to start coming down. It's fireside, it's books, it's puppies, it's chocolates, it's sticky puddings and sweet wines. Tell my listeners about the winemaking process of I I call it olorase. Do you well, how do you say it? Olorase. Yeah, I say olorase, but olorase. You know, it's very very small differences in, in emphasis. Well, <laughs> so, uh, so before, in fact, before you go onto the winemaking process, I call it oloroso because oloroso is a, is a is a style of sherry, um, as you know, that's made in in Spain. And I wondered if it has anything to do with the name for your sweet wine. It, it's an inspiration uh, behind it um, because the wine is made in a Solera system mm. um, and many sherries are made in Solera yes. systems, which is a, a, a way to fractionally blend a wine over years and years and years. Yes. Um, so it doesn't have a specific vintage, but it just develops the most amazing extra layers of complexity from all that aging time. Yes. And it also, um, Solera systems also self-stabilize. Um, it becomes more um, resolved, more stable, more complex. So that's why the wine becomes much more interesting. Mm. And it's something that you can build up for as long as the wine can stand exists. It. Exactly. Yes. So just to so, give my listeners an idea, there can be some wine in your Alerisse bottle that you get from, from uh, Molyneux 
that is 10 years old and some that's 20 years old and some that's five years old and and so we go it's a system whereby you build up and you only take some stuff off and you keep pumping it back and back and over and over so we end up with an overall aged product just so that everybody understands what a Solera system is it's a fantastic way of making any kind of alcohol I think absolutely yeah so so with our Solera um, it we started it in 2008, and so it contains fractionally blended into it all of the vintages through 2019. Um, so in the in the grand scheme of Soleros, you know, it's still building, it's still yes. young, but but that's why we only release this wine when we feel it's a complex um, and different enough expression of straw wine compared to the vintage straw wines, the yes. single vintage straw wines that yes. we make and release every year. So now, Andrea, so, tell me about this wine. Um, Straw wine in itself is an ancient technique that I don't think many people know about. Tell us about straw wine and the actual technique of making straw wine. So straw wine is one of the types of, of making sweet wine, um, and there's many different kinds of ways of making sweet, sweet wine. But when you're in warmer, drier areas where we don't have botrytis and we don't have... Um, we don't have, you know, the freezing cold that you can make no. ice wine from, for example. So when you want to capture the sunshine but still make a balanced sweet wine, um, straw wine is the technique. It's also called passito um, in Italy um, or or vinipai in um, the Rhone Valley, for example, yes. or other parts of France. And it's when you cut the grapes off at normal ripeness. So the same way, same grapes you would use for making a dry white wine, for example. Yes. And then you concentrate them off the vine. So while you're concentrating them, you're not just concentrating, you know, the sugar and the flavor. You're also concentrating the acidity. And the acidity with something so sweet is such an important yes. um, point for the balance, for the way it feels on the tongue. So how do you, don't you want concentrate to make... that acidity when the, vi when the bunch is off the vine? So when the bunch stays on the vine and the sugar goes up, you're naturally losing acidity, and that's mm. the whole ripening process. Mm. So so the longer you leave grapes on the vine, the lower, the lower the acidity, the acidity. drops. Yeah. But when you cut it off the vine, it stops the ripening process at the point that you cut it off. Yes. And so the desiccation process by by leaving it to uh, leaving the, the moisture to evaporate out of the grapes. So in our case, we're able to do it outside because, you know, we're in the Swartland, it's warm and dry and breezy, so it's a natural dry environment. Yes. Um, in other parts of the world, they have to do it um, inside, like in the rafters of a barn, for example, <laughs> would be the traditional method. Yeah. And um, it's that desiccation process. That do you ever, have you ever thought about desiccation on the vine? Because you can do that too, can't you? You can strangle the xylem and the phloem in the stem. Absolutely. So what pe some people do is they'll they'll pinch off the the stem where it attaches to the vine, mm. and that works fantastic for some varieties. Mm. But Chenin Blanc naturally has quite a thick stem. Yes. So when you try to pinch it, it it looks like it's pinched, but it's not completely, and then you okay. end up losing the acidity because it's still ripening just a little bit. Yes. So you pick your bunches, and then what do you do with them? You take them and put them on what or in what or where? Yes, so one of the reasons why it's called straw wine is that the traditional method was that it was laid out on straw mats. Yes. So when we cut it off the vine, we, we lay it out, and as I mentioned, we're able to do it outside. Um, and in that laying down process, 
um, the evaporation or the desiccation, it doesn't happen very evenly uh, because, you know, some grapes are harder or on the bottom of the bunch, some are on top and more exposed to, to the elements. Yes. And so it desiccates in a relatively uneven fashion, which is good because uneven yeah. complexity as well. Yeah. <laughs> but it becomes incredibly hard to determine at what point to to press it. Yes. You know, it's tri- it's been trial and error over the years. Um, some are you know, sometimes there's going to be more concentration than others, depending on which bunch, which side of the bunch and everything. And yes. then after a few weeks, um, when we feel visually that the desiccation process is sufficient, uh, we bring it to the winery where we press it very long and very slow. Um, over about two days, it takes to extract then, I say juice, but it really looks like honey coming out of the yes. grapes. And um, Andrea, it, it, just so that everybody is with us on the same page, when you say it looks like it's right, the grapes are starting to shrivel up, I assume, because they're being starved of their, of their, um, what's the word, liquid, really. It's turning, yes. in, it's turning into syrup. It's turning into honey. So they're exactly. sort of starting to shrivel up. And... And do you leave them in the sun or do you leave them in a covered place but outside where they can get some sunlight? Yeah, we prefer to leave them in a, a shady area. So it's, you know, it's, there's some filtered sunlight, but um, we don't leave, we personally don't leave them in direct sunlight, although some people do prefer yeah. that technique. Yeah. And um, so obviously you- with sunlight, you know, it's going to go a little bit faster and it's also... Uh, can protect the grapes as well because, yes. for example, if you have some moisture, you know, some morning dew or some rain, um, obviously a sunnier place will dry out faster. Um, and that is why in Europe they oftentimes do the drying process inside because yes. they're dealing with a little bit more traditional autumnal weather mm-hmm. at the end of harvest. <laughs> yes, yes. And you don't want those grapes to get wet and start to go rotten. Yes, exactly. So some people might know the you know more famous noble rot style of, of sweet wine, but um, you won't get that that positive rot. No, you'll get that raining on the grapes. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll it'll turn sour. It'll turn to vinegar. Yes. So so yeah, so we don't we don't want that. We want to keep it healthy. <laughs> yeah. So when you cut your bunch off the vine, what sort of sugar levels are you cutting it off at harvest time? Have you got quite a so high our, sugar level? For starters, so we cut it off at the exact same point that we do our dry white wine. Okay. In fact, it comes from a, a, the same vineyard as one of our dry white wines, and so that is typically, um, you know, between twenty-one and twenty-three fouling, yeah. mm. um, which would be a potential alcohol of, you know, around thirteen, thirteen and a half percent alcohol if we didn't do the drying process. Yes. Okay, so now I've interrupted you. You've you've laid them out on straw mats. You've let them sort of dry and shrivel a bit and turn a bit honeyed. You take them into the winery and you start to slowly, gently press them to squeeze out this beautiful honeyed golden liquid. How much do you get per bunch, for example? Ooh, <laughs> per bunch, the calculation's hard because it depends. You know, we do have vintage variation in the sweatland that does affect the, the shape and sizes of the bunches. But what I can tell you is that in a normal dry white wine, for every ton of grapes you pick, you'll get 
between 600 and let's say 800 liters of wine or of juice at the end. Okay. With a straw wine for every ton of grapes that you pick. So for every thousand kilos, you only get about 100 liters mm. of juice <laughs> or honey, I should say. That's amazing. It's so extraordinarily special. I mean, it really is elixir, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's um, you know very. It's a very hands-on process because of the cutting, the laying, the the, the picking up, the long slow mm. pressing, and then the minuscule amounts of fermentable juice that comes out on the other side. So you you take them into your winery, you start to press them slowly, and then take us through the rest of the process. So the so as I mentioned, the the juice that comes out is in in small, thick, sweet gorgeous quantities um, and the um, it goes straight to barrel where all of our fermentations are indigenous fermentations which means that the yeast that naturally grow on the grapes are the same yeast that take the juice through its fermentation process until Brilliant. it becomes yeah. a wine and um, so it is a slightly slower process than if you were to take a packet of yeast and add it. Mm. Uh, but the long, slow fermentation, um, there again, it's building complexity. Anything that takes, you know, a long, slow builds time. Builds layers, to, yeah. To build, builds layers, exactly. Um, so in the barrel, it usually takes where normal wine would take between three and eight weeks to ferment. This takes usually around 10 months to do its fermentation. Wow. And it's fermenting the whole time, but just slowly, really? slowly. So it continues to ferment for up to eight months. That is remarkable for anybody who mm. knows anything about fermentation process. And you just leave it lying. Are they in little barrels or do you put them in big ones? How do you do it? Yes, we prefer um, a barrique, which is 225 liter barrels, which is a pretty standard wine barrel size. Yeah. We don't top it in that period. Uh, topping is when you need to leave space for the fermentation. Yes. Um, and because it's continuously fermenting the whole time, it is protecting itself with the carbon dioxide that the yes. wine naturally makes. Yes. And so by um, we don't top it or disturb it in that time. We want it to ferment and then finish naturally, to finish on its own. So we yes. don't do anything to interfere to stop the fermentation right. process. So eight to ten months, or I suppose anything up to eight months, you said, for fermentation. You yeah, then go into your months. cellar one day yeah. and you find that your fermentation process has finished. Does it, does it form a little cap on the top, like a little floor like sherry does? No, interestingly, um, our straw wine is not particularly high in alcohol. Um, the Alarisay, for example, is... You know, only about eight percent alcohol, yes. and you, and so usually you only get the that beautiful floor, that that extra yeast yes. cup on top. That is a protective layer in higher alcohol yes. wines. Yes, and and so the um, so even though we do it in a solera and it's um, inspired by that style of blending, mm. um, it doesn't develop a floor the same way a Spanish um, sherry would, for example. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So when do you take it out of barrel or do you leave it there for a bit? 
Mm, so we, well, I'll leave it there for another month to completely settle because while it's fermenting, it's it's very um, you know homogenized and cloudy inside the barrel. Mm. And so once the fermentation stops, only then will it start to naturally settle and clarify. Yes. So I leave it for for a month or so to finish settling, um, and then what we'll do is for the vintage straw wine, we'll we'll blend those barrels together and get them ready for bottling, you know, after about a year. Mm. And then for the Solera-style wine, the Alera, say, mm. um, so just a little um, note on that. We, we're not allowed to use the word Solera because it is a protected name. It's, you yes. know, it's owned by... It belongs to Spain, yeah. It, exactly, exactly. And that's why Alera, say, is a way of referring to the Solera because the Solera is also... A style of of blending. You yes, know, they so, use it so in by, champagne as well, don't they? Exactly, exactly. Mm. So it does give you know an image and and um, a definition to how the wine is treated by using the word Solera, but we're not allowed to use the word in in packaging. So that's why we say Alera say because it sort of sounds like the word and and it has you know those references to the Solera style system. Yes. So. Um, so for the vintage straw wine, we will, you know, blend and then eventually bottle some of those barrels. But then the the Solera style system that we make, um, we'll take a few of those barrels every year, and then that's when we fractionally blend them back into the previous vintage. And what happens is over the time that it's in the barrels for the Solera system, it's concentrating even more because there's natural evaporation that comes out of barrels. Yes. Um, but it's also stabilizing. Um, so as I mentioned, it becomes more and more um, structured, stable, concentrated. And by blending in the current vintage wine, it refreshes the whole soil. So sometimes, even though it's the oldest percentages of wine, it can taste the youngest. Yes. And you don't clarify or filter it yourself, do you? No, it's just long, slow settling processes. Gosh, that's just amazing. It's such a it's such an ancient sort of art and you've just captured it so brilliantly. Just for all the listeners out there, just a little aside, this amazing woman that I'm speaking to, that you're listening to, was named Wine Enthusiastics a Wine Enthusiasts International Winemaker of the Year. It was it was twenty sixteen, was it? Twenty seventeen? When was that happened? Correct. Yeah, so it was for 2016, and it mm. took place in 2017. So you're correct on both. <laughs> and, and in addition to that, I mean, Molyneux Wines has just been named Winery of the Year three or four times by John Platterguide. Andrea is a huge inspiration, not only to women, but men all over the world in the wine world. And I'm just so incredibly chuffed for you that you've received this accolade from, from Neil Martin from anybody else, it might even feel like a lesser accolade, but he doesn't give he doesn't give points away very easily, does he, Andrea? No, I mean he this is the first time he's done it for South Africa, and you know any journalist um you know they reserve that hundred point score for really the best of the best, so it is it's a very rare occurrence from any wine journalist, yeah, it's just amazing, so we're going to be doing I think I'm joining you on Friday for a zoom type thing where we're going to be introduced. You've sent me a bottle. I'm so excited it's sitting mm-hmm. quivering in my cellar, waiting to be opened and tasted. I cannot wait when I open it. What am I going to taste? Oh wow, <laughs> so. 
for me, the the most important thing to taste is um, obviously that sunshine that you get from South Africa. And it's you know you might think, how do I taste sunshine? Mm-hmm. But it's just that concentration of fruit, but also spice, sweetness, but that balanced acidity because the sun is concentrating the acidity, um, the um, you know, and just those layers of complexity that resolve sugar um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not just about primary fruit. When when you think about, you know, tasting sunshine and its grapes, you think primary fruit. But in to me, in the Swartland, in South Africa, that sunshine pushes primary fruit into minerality, into spice, yeah. into, um, uh, you know, also into those tertiary characters, mm-hmm. you know, the not just, not just oranges, but marmalade, oh, you know. That's Seville marmalade. It's just so gorgeous. Is there an element of dryness on it? It's a perception of dryness. Mm. And that's what's so interesting is, again, because of the sunshine and because we're working with Chenin Blanc for this, there's natural phenolics in the skins that are not bitter, they're not astringent, but they're a phenolic that leaves the palate feeling clean, even though you're tasting something so sweet. So the phenolics balanced with the acidity, even though it's... Few hundred grams of sugar a liter. Yeah, um, it is refreshing. It's not cloying. It's it a bit makes you want to have another sip. That is absolutely what I look for in any sweet wine. Is that is that delicate, delicate balance? Because we all adore sweet wine. I always say, sweet wine people are terrified to acknowledge that they actually drink anything sweet. People sort of speak left and vote right. They drink dry and, and actually love sweet. You know what I mean? Or they talk they talk dry and drink sweet in, in mm-hmm. private. There's something so completely, utterly sublime about those sweet wines, if they're made like you make them, where they are beautifully rich, round, full, seductive, honeyed fruit with that tiny frostiness on the back palate that leaves you feeling and not sort of dripping in sugar. It's such a difficult thing to do and you capture it with your normal straw wine and you certainly captured it in the only other um, bottle of Olorose that I've had from you uh, where it is just completely and utterly perfectly balanced. You've done it just amazingly and I can 100% see why you have received 100 points for this special, special wine. Thank you. (laughs) What are we going to eat with it if we were to be fortunate enough to buy a bottle? Because I'm sure they're not many. Uh, What would you you pair it with? Well, I mean, it truly is a a dessert on its own. See, I always say sweet wine and not dessert wine because... Dessert implies once a day, (laughs) but you can have it. You can have it as a dessert on its own. However, I can't. I mean, I'm. I I love eating things with it and paired naturally with cheese and nuts. You know, if you want something more savory with it, that's absolutely like just blue cheese and nuts is is just a perfect combination. Yeah. But for for a more traditional dessert, um, the things that I think pair best with it are actually baked fruit. Um, so not to go, you know, sugary sweet like chocolate cake, but to go baked fruit like tart mm. you know, like apple pie. Mm. So pastry and fruit together is a perfect combination or or even a pear and blue cheese tart. You know, that that yeah. is 
also an amazing combination. I've got a fab recipe for a camembert cheese piled with nuts and figs, honey poured over the top under the grill. I think I'm going to do mine with cheese and figs and nuts and honey. That's an amazing combination right there. You know, it's, it's because the wine is so complex, keep, keep what you're having with is simple. And, um, you know, even if there's a lot to the dish, it's about those pure flavors. Yeah. You know, it's about tasting nature in the glass and, and keeping it um, keeping it real for the, whatever food you're eating with it, mm. too. Andrea, how much did you make and how much is available and how much are we going to sell it for? That's what my listeners are all going to ask me. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> how much so can the, they have and how much is it? So the the... You know, it, it is on allocation, but we obviously we're we're you know prioritizing South Africa. That's the most important thing. Is that in South Africa it will be the biggest allocation for the country, mm-hmm. and um, obviously people will be able to buy it from top wine shops, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and um, the price is just roughly around just under eight hundred rand a bottle. It's so cheap for what it is. It really, really is because it is extraordinary. It's like it's like such a little jewel in our South African crown. So thank you really very, very much for giving us that jewel. In fact it's like the it's like the main jewel in the middle of the crown. It's like that Cullinan diamond I think that we gave to the Queen. It's in the middle of that crown. It's beautiful. It's special. We're privileged to have that. We're privileged to have you and Chris in South Africa, flying such an unbelievable flag for us. Love you lots. I'm going to speak to you on Friday. We're going to taste this beautiful wine of yours together. And in the meantime, stay safe and warm. Absolutely. Can't wait to taste with you. (laughs) Andrea, thanks so much for joining us on Touch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Digital is the future, and we are that future. We are. Touch HD.